0: The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. The scripture reading for this morning is Matthew six nineteen through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For there your treasure is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This is the word of the Lord. So if you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I told Brad earlier that we're going to kind of move through this text and then go up back through it and back and kind of jump around all over the place. And we're going to be kind of moving back and forth through the text. And he's like, oh, like a slinky. I was like, sure. So so yeah, so get ready. You're going to need to like hang with me this morning because we're doing a slinky thing apparently in Matthew 6. So go on and turn there if you haven't. Um, You know, we have some strange proverbial sayings in our culture. One that I did not personally understand for the longest time is you can't, how's it go? You can't have your cake. That's why I didn't understand it because the saying is said backwards. I'll campaign on this for the rest of my life. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Like that would make so much more sense the other way around. You can't eat your cake and have it Like eventually, through reversing that statement, I figured out what it means. It's describing a situation in which two options are mutually exclusive. Like you you can't have it both ways. You can't eat your piece of cake and still have it to like hold on to and save for later. And this apparently is a common saying because apparently we try to live this way. Like just think, think about like our are movies the stories that we tell through movies i mean how often is this like a central theme of a movie where like you have a main character who tries to live some kind of double life where they're having it both ways tries to juggle multiple romantic interests, only eventually we all know the plot of that movie it all comes crashing down because you can't eat your cake and have it too i'm going to say it that way for the rest of the time because it makes more sense You can't eat your cake and have it too, but that doesn't stop us from trying. And this kind of like double life living, this is nothing new. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, where we've been for a while now, we've seen Jesus confronting the double life of the scribes and the Pharisees. Scribes and the Pharisees who claim to live single-mindedly devoted to God. While we've seen again and again, they live a duplicitous life. Yeah, sure, their external actions make it look like they're wholeheartedly devoted to God, but their internal affections are really wholeheartedly devoted to to themselves. They're trying to eat their cake and have it too. So through the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus calls us to a greater righteousness. He's like, Pharisees, if that's what you call righteousness, just going through these external motions, no matter what's going on internally in your heart, if that's your version of righteousness, then I want you to know I'm calling you to a greater righteousness. A righteousness greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the righteousness of Christ's kingdom which is not a hypocritical divided double life righteousness no it is a single-minded wholehearted devotion to the king of the kingdom Christ and this whole sermon has been showing us what that greater righteousness of an undivided life looks like you remember the things we've walked through Jesus has shown us what this Greater righteousness looks like in relation to the word. That's what he did through most of chapter 5. What does it look like to not try and use this word to justify some kind of double life, but to single-mindedly, wholeheartedly approach the word in a way where I'm giving my life in full devotion to God? He's shown us what this greater righteousness looks like in relation to the word. He's shown us what it looks like in relation to worship. That's what he's done through the first half of chapter 6, where he showed us the hypocritical worship of the Pharisees where they look like they're all about the worship of God, but really they just want other people to see their good worship acts and praise them. They're really all about the worship of self. Jesus has shown us what greater righteousness that really is after God as its treasure, what that looks like. He's shown us what the greater righteousness looks like in relation to the word, what it looks like in relation to worship, and now for the rest of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7, he shows us what this greater righteousness looks like in relation to the world. This world that we all have to do life in. This world where anything and everything in it is constantly clamoring for your heart's allegiance. Money, power, sex, people, possessions, property, policy, whatever, it all wants to sit on your heart's throne. What is the greater righteousness of an undivided life? What does it look like to live in this world with single-minded wholehearted devotion to Christ. Shades, we need this section of the sermon, maybe the most. We need this section of the sermon because the world is constantly trying to captivate and capture our hearts. And here's the deal. We can do what the Pharisees did. We can claim wholehearted devotion to Christ all we want to. But does the world, with all of its wealth and power, actually sit on the throne of our hearts? Do we actually live trying to serve two kings? Shades, that's impossible. It's like trying to eat a cake and have it too. We can only serve one king. And in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, Jesus is asking us, who's it going to be? Who's going to be your king? Read it with me. Beginning in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if you were here two weeks ago on Easter, you know that this portion of this text, these first three verses, this was our text on Easter Sunday. So you may be thinking, why are we covering it again It's because these verses are like a bridge between two sections of the sermon. Okay, so just like a bridge serves as the conclusion of one segment of road and the beginning of another segment or the introduction of another segment of of road, these verses do the same thing. They are the perfect conclusion to Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. Wrap that up nicely. If you remember, that's where Jesus was talking about the greater righteousness In relation to worship, that's where he'd been showing us the hypocritical worship of the Pharisees. That really wasn't about treasuring God at all. It was about being recognized and getting the reward of recognition from others. That was their treasure. So you can see how verses 19 to 21 are the conclusion of that. They say don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Like this treasure, this reward of being recognized by others. Don't go after that. Seek the real reward, the reward who is christ they're the perfect conclusion to what has come before them but not just that these verses are also the perfect introduction to what comes after them verse 22 all the way to chapter 7 and verse 12 that's the next section of the sermon and these verses serve as the perfect introduction and when you see them as the introduction to the next section the meaning of treasure changes hang with me meaning of treasure changes. In other words, as the conclusion to the previous section on worship, what did Jesus mean by don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth? Don't seek the reward of recognition. Reputation. Popularity. the word treasure is going to take on a new meaning. And it's clearly going to mean money and all that it can buy. All the goods and services of the world. Possessions, food, property. When you look from verse 19 onward, treasure is clearly going to take on that connotation. This, this passage, it's, it's a bridge, It's like a link in a chain. It concludes and it introduces. And when it introduces, treasure clearly means money. You can see that. All you got to do is look at what comes right after it. Look at verses 22 and 23, which are all about seeing. And I think they help us see that what Jesus is talking about right here is money. Look at it. Verse 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You see it clearly now, right? No? Everybody doesn't see how this is all about money? Jesus' words are actually a little bit confusing right here, but that's because every culture has its strange proverbial sayings. Sayings like ours. can't have your cake, can't eat your cake. Gum it. can't eat your cake and have it too. I'm on a crusade to change this saying. It's gonna happen. We're gonna make this, all right? All this business right here that Jesus says about good eyes, bad eyes, it would have made perfect sense to his first hearers, those first century Jews, because to have a bad eye, that was a, it was a metaphor. It was a proverbial way of saying, well, more literally, it's not bad eye, it's evil eye, which is even more fun. Jesus is talking about giving people the evil eye. Not really. All right. It literally means evil eye. And to talk about an evil eye was like a proverbial way of saying someone was greedy. They, their eye was set solely on personal gain. It was the vision of their life. They were selfish, stingy, miserly. Don't take my word for it. Ever. Take the Bibles, Deuteronomy 15 and verse 9. Take care lest your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing. Literal translation of the Hebrew right there. Take care lest your eye be evil. What's it talking about? Being greedy, miserly, stingy. Or... Take Proverbs 28 and verse 22. A stingy man hastens after wealth. This is what he does. His whole life, his vision is towards it. A a stingy man hastens after wealth. Literal translation right there, a man whose eye is evil. Hastens after wealth. This is what Jesus means when he uses this phraseology in Matthew chapter 6. I know that even more clearly because he's going to use this terminology again in Matthew chapter 20. And there it clearly means someone who is greedy and stingy. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells this parable about these workers who are commissioned out to work in a field. And the, the guy who owns the field, he picks up more workers as the day goes on. And at the end of the day, he pays them all the same thing. Generously. And the workers who worked longer are ticked. Why do the people who show up late get the same thing? These are the words that Jesus puts on the lips of that employer in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Literal translation, or is your eye evil towards my generosity? Clearly, to have an evil eye is to have one's eyes on, fixed on greedy, personal gain. Which means, to have a healthy eye is going to be the opposite of that. To have a healthy eye must have something to do, not with greed, but with generosity. I think that's exactly what we see in verse 22. Through the fact that the word healthy, most of your versions probably have it translated as healthy. Uh, it's not a great translation of the Greek word haplos. A better translation would be single or whole. Isn't that what this entire sermon has been about? Whole-hearted, single-minded devotion to Christ. If I'm right, that is indeed what Jesus means by this word. And what he's saying is that when you have your gaze set single-mindedly on him, it leads to a life of lavish generosity. A life that bears witness to the world that money is not your master. God is. Your vision, the vision of your life isn't set on what you can gain, but on what you can give. If I'm right, Jesus is saying, setting your mind solely, wholeheartedly on him as your treasure leads you to be able to give away any and every other treasure. And that bears witness to the world that he is the one of supreme worth. He is your master, not money. Is that not exactly where he goes in the next verse? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't eat your cake and have it too, like the Pharisees want to do. It's exactly what, I know that's what they want to do because you can actually find this saying in its exact form in Luke chapter 16, where Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. You can find a lot of Jesus' sayings throughout a lot of the Gospels. One, because they likely used each other as sources, but not only that, Jesus was what we call an itinerant preacher, which means he preached around as he traveled all over the place. Yes, he probably said the same thing more than once. He probably jumbled it up, put it in different orders, all that kind of thing. And when you compare those parallel texts, some very surprising things begin to come to the surface. And if you look at where he says you cannot serve both God and money, that's Luke chapter 16 and verse, four, and verse 13. The very next thing that said. You can't serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. The Pharisees, those who claimed to have God as their king, but in reality, their hearts were held captive by the wealth of the world, which isn't just money. No, it's money and all that it can afford. I know that because of how Matthew 6 and verse 24 ends. Look at it again. Look at that last phrase. You cannot serve both God and money. The word money right there, likely in your Bible, has a footnote on it. And that footnote is to tell you that the word right there isn't actually money. It's actually not even a Greek word. It's an Aramaic word that Matthew has left untranslated. You've probably heard some version of before if you grew up reading the good old King Jimmy. You can't serve God and mammon mammon. Why why didn't Matthew translate that word for us into Greek? Some people will say it's because Matthew's actually naming, giving us a proper name of like a demonic spirit. I don't think that's true at all because there is absolutely no evidence of that in any ancient source. What we do find is that this Aramaic word was a well-known word that basically meant money, and all that it can buy. The, the root of this word actually means that in which one puts their confidence. So you can see why it came to mean money and everything that it can afford. Food, clothes, property, possessions, everything that could potentially provide you with security and satisfaction. All of that is what the Pharisees put their confidence in. Mammon. Here is where their confidence lies. It's where they put their devotion. Verse 22, it's where they set their eyes. Devoted to it. It's where they put their love. Verse 21. It's where their heart was. Their confidence and trust, their devotion... Their love. Jesus sums up all of that with one word. Serve. Serve. These verses, a lot of people treat them like they are isolated sayings that aren't related to one another. They're not that at all. They are pictures that are being piled up. They, they go together. They are connected. You can see that simply in the way they all mimic the same kind of contrasts. First picture contrasts treasures in heaven and treasures on earth. Second picture contrasts good and evil eyes and light and darkness. The third picture contrasts God and money, two masters. These contrasts are all connected, all designed to define what it means to serve. The Pharisees can claim to serve God all they want. But what we're being shown is that what they really served was money, meaning it controlled their life like a master. Their eyes were set on it, devoted to gaining. They made their decisions based around that. Their hearts lovingly treasured it. Their confidence and their trust was that it would provide security and satisfaction. That's what Jesus means by serve. And this should help us see why Jesus says it's an impossibility to serve both god and money because either you believe god when he says that he's your security he's your satisfaction he's the supreme treasure of your heart he is the one to which your eyes should be devoted your life's vision should be set on gating either he is all of that or he's not you can only fix your eyes on one sight. Your heart can only hold one supreme treasure. You can only serve one master. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Who's it going to be? Pharisees could claim to serve God all they wanted, but everybody could see that what they really served was money. That's the point of what Jesus says about light and dark in verse 24. You might have noticed we skipped over that part talked about what good and evil eyes mean. What's all this business about light and dark? This is Jesus' way of showing you can claim to serve whatever you want. But the reality will be revealed by what your life is devoted to. Look at verse 24 again. The eye is the lamp of the body. In other words, just like a lamp lights away, shows you which way to go. that's, That's what your eyes do. Your eyes... Show your body which way to go. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is whole, single, your body will be full of light. Light has only been used one other place in the Sermon on the Mount thus far. It's back in chapter 5 and verse 14 where we were said to be the light of the world. It's an image of us shining forth for the glory of God. So do you see what Jesus is saying right here? When your eye is single, when your vision is single, you're single-minded, wholeheartedly set on God, that's going to direct your path towards him, and it's going to shine forth his glory. Specifically, is going to shine it forth through generosity. We'll see that more in just a second. Verse 23, but if your eye is bad, which we know means set on greed, then your whole body will be full of darkness. In other words, your life will not be directed towards God. Your life will not shine forth his glory through generosity, no matter what you claim. Is that not what the last phrase of the verse emphasizes? If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In other words, you can claim to have light within you all you want to live a life. These Pharisees can claim to live a life that is shining forth for the glory of God. But if that light is actually darkness, then how great is the darkness? So dark that they are self-deceived. They don't even know it's dark. Jesus will say this in another way in John chapter 9. He'll say that they're blind and they think they see. Later in Matthew, he'll call them blind guides. They think they can lead others, but really they're just leading everybody to fall into a pit. This was the Pharisees. They claimed to be a light for God, but Jesus says their greed makes their life the opposite. They're not righteous like they claim, wholeheartedly devoted to God. No, they live a divided, double life. And Jesus is calling us to a greater righteousness that's not divided, but single-minded, wholeheartedly devoted to one true, the one true treasure, Jesus. And he says, such a life is full of light. I told you, that... that that terminology, that picture comes from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, where Jesus said, we are to be the light of the world, a city set on a hill. We're to be like a lamp that's not hidden under a basket, but that's set on a stand to give light to all who are in the house. That picture, clearly back in Matthew five fourteen, means that we are to shine our light before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And now... By using the same image, Jesus is showing us one way we do that. Here's one way your life is full of light and shines forth showing people the glory of God. It's through generosity, not through greed. When we, do you see how this works? When, When we don't live greedily trying to gain everything, because we already have everything, we have Christ. When we live a life of generosity... It shows that our true treasure is not anything that this world has to offer because that's not what we're clinging to. We will sacrifice all of that in order to cling to Christ. We reveal he is the true treasure. We shine a light on his glory by living generously, open-handedly with all other treasures i told you you can learn a lot from parallel passages where jesus says the same thing twice listen to this parallel passage in luke chapter 11 and verse 33 no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket but on a stand so that those who enter may see it your eye is the lamp of your body when your eye is healthy your whole body is full of light but when it is bad your body is full of darkness Do you see what that passage just did it took matthew 5 14 you're to be a light for the world, showing forth the glory of God. And it took Matthew six twenty-two. Your eye is a lamp. Your body's to be full of light. And it shoved them together. Proving my point, that our lives shine like a light on Christ as the true treasure when our eyes are set wholeheartedly on him as our game causing us to live lives not of greed but of generosity this is the life of greater righteousness in relation to the wealth of the world it's not a life that's divided between loyalty to christ and loyalty to wealth or possessions or anything else that can fall under the definition of mammon no it's single minded and that is evidenced through generosity Because we believe that Jesus, he is ultimately our security. He is ultimately our satisfaction. Isn't that what we're really seeking through money and everything that it can give? Security and satisfaction? Aren't those the two things that we want? Are those not the two things that verses 19 to 24 say earthly treasures money can never guarantee? Verse 19 to 24, what does it say? About all money and everything that it can buy says that it can be stolen by a thief. It's not secure. And it says that it will rust and rot. It will never fully forever satisfy. Jesus is setting that before us to ask the question, so why serve it? Why? Why let all of that control your life like a master? Why let money, possessions, Property, whatever. Why let that control your life like a master, determining everything you do, determining where you live, what job you take, students, what degree you go for? What? Why? Why is that the determining factor? Unless it's your master. What? Why let? Your eyes be devoted solely to it as the vision of your life, gaining it. Why, why let your heart lovingly treasure that which can never actually satisfy or give security? We try, shades. We try to serve two masters, but only one master can give what he promises. Luke twelve, verse thirty-two through thirty-four. Another parallel passage. Fear not, little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Listen to where he goes next. If you're not little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is what it means to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. This is what it means for your eye, the vision of your life, to be single and whole. This is what it means to serve one master. God and not money. It means lavish insane generosity so what does this look like in your life that is a question that is simultaneously easy and hard to answer on the one hand what does this look like in your life on the one hand it's it's, it's easy to answer the question do I serve God or money on the one hand, it's, it's easy to answer because Jesus tells us very explicitly what it looks like. He says it looks like not living in fear. Did you catch that just a second ago when I read you Luke chapter 12 and verse 32? Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you The kingdom. This is what empowers us to do the next thing he says to live lavishly, generously, to sell our possessions, to give to the needy, everything we normally hang on to because we fear that if we live open handedly with it, we won't have enough for ourselves. This is precisely what Jesus is gonna talk about, what we're gonna cover next week in Matthew chapter six. He's gonna talk about living in worry and fear and anxiety over what we'll eat, what we'll wear, basically how we will pay our daily bills. And Jesus says, don't live in worry. Don't put your confidence in money as a master who can provide you with security and satisfaction. No, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In other words, trust the shepherd. Fear not, little flock. Trust the shepherd who provides for the sheep. Trust the father who provides for your children. Fear not, little flock, your father. Trust the king who will give you the kingdom. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you see Jesus piling up pictures of a shepherd, a father, a king who stands ready To provide for you everything. What what does it look like? That's what's supposed to give us that confidence to live boldly, fearlessly, free from worry over these things. What does it look like to serve God and not money? It looks like not living in fear and worry because our confidence for security and satisfaction is in the only king who can... Give it. We'll talk a lot more about that next week because while that answer is easy to see, it's much more difficult to live out in everyday life. Next week, we're going to dive into what exactly that looks like. But that's not actually what I'm talking about when I say that it is also hard to answer the question, what does it look like in my life to serve God and not money? On the one hand, answering that question is easy because Jesus tells us explicitly. It looks like not fearing or worrying, but trusting the Lord. On the one hand, easy to answer that question. But on the other hand, it's hard because Jesus doesn't tell us fully what it looks like, at least not specifically. For for instance, Jesus tells us, sell your possessions and give to the need. Here's what it looks like. For you to live with God as your master and not money, Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. I'm going to need some more specifics, Jesus. Like, Does he mean all of them? Some of them? I mean, in places like Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable of a rich fool who upon gaining all of this grain tears down his small barns and bigs Builds bigger ones to hoard his wealth. And Jesus calls that man a fool. But then I got Proverbs 13, verse 22 that says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I'm behind on that one, by the way. (laughs) Jesus constantly warns of the dangers of wealth. Saying things like it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom yet we know from places like Luke chapter 8 that even Jesus's own ministry was supported by women of various means which most likely means they had substantial wealth so I've got all of these seemingly conflicting things swirling around in my head how can I know Jesus practically what it looks like to serve God and not money this is hard shades. Let me close with three things that I think will help each of us to answer this question in our lives. Am I serving God or money? Three things that I think will help. One, take seriously the warnings about wealth. Take seriously the warnings about wealth. Jesus talks more about money than nearly anything else. He talks more about money than he talks about heaven or hell. Most of the time, it is to warn us about how dangerous it is. Like, whether you have it or not. Some of us are like, well, I don't have money. It's not dangerous to me. Oh, no. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy that many from the desire for money that they don't have, wander away from the faith and pierce themselves through with many griefs. It's dangerous, whether you've got it, or or not and all too often we'll try to come up with creative ways to be dismissive about the extreme warnings that Jesus gives us concerning the dangers of money shades don't dismiss these warnings heed them take them seriously now does that mean that everybody in here because money wealth all these things are dangerous everybody in here needs to take a vow of poverty and sell everything. Please don't. Um, We would close our doors uh, tomorrow. My family would be homeless specifically. No, uh, this is where I think we need to see the second thing that I think helps us know whether or not we are serving God or money. So the first one, take seriously the warnings about wealth. Secondly, walk in the wisdom of the Spirit. Walk in the wisdom of the Spirit of the Spirit. When we, when we talk about things, like what Jesus has to say about money, our instinct is to become Pharisees. Our instinct is to say, all right, Jesus, just give me the specifics. Like, create the rule, and I'll follow it. Give me the box to check so I can say I'm living in line with what Jesus says. You say, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Well, tell me what that means. Does that mean 10%? Check. Following Jesus. Does it mean 50%? All right. Check. I'm really following Jesus. Does it mean 100%? Take that vow of poverty. Be the most Jesusist follower of Jesus ever. In reality, What Jesus means in all these things is precisely what he says. He didn't give specifics for a reason because the application plays out differently in different people's lives. All you got to do this afternoon, go read Luke chapter 18 and 19 back to back. Here's what you'll find. In Luke chapter 18, you will see a rich man that Jesus says, go sell all, everything you got, give it all to the poor and then come follow me. And this rich man walks away sad. One chapter later, Luke 19, we get another rich man. A wee little one. His name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus gives half, half of what he has away to the poor. Says he'll pay back people he's cheated fourfold. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And I want to be like, hold up now. Like, why didn't Jesus say, listen, Zach? Can I call you Zach? Zach. Giving away half your stuff is good, all right? But not quite good enough. I kind of just told this guy one chapter ago that it's got to be everything to get in on the Jesus Club. He doesn't say that because in both of these rich men's lives, Jesus is after the same thing. Being their king. That's what he's after. Money's secondary. He is after being their king, and that means different things when it comes to setting their hearts free from greed. Shades, what does it look like in your life for Jesus to be king instead of money and all that it can provide? That That's different from person to person. And it takes walking in the wisdom of the Spirit to know what it's supposed to look like in your life. It may mean selling absolutely everything. It may not. But whatever it means, I know this is true for all of us. The Spirit will lead us, if we will follow him, walk with him, he will lead us to relate to money in such a way that it puts the glory of God on display through lavish generosity. This is where we need to see the third and final thing. Told you in order to figure out, am I serving God or am I serving money? We need to take seriously the warnings about wealth. We need to walk in the wisdom of the spirit. And third, final thing, we need to remember what it means to serve. We need to remember what it, you want to know if you're serving God or money? Serving. We need to remember what that word serve, what it means in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Do you remember what we said it means? It means that something is controlling your life like a master because you do all you can do to get it. Your Eyes. The vision of your life is devoted to seeking it. Your heart loves and longs for it as your supreme treasure to give you security and satisfaction forever. Is that how you would describe your relationship with God? Is is he the controlling force of your life? Because you will do everything Everything, anything, to get more of him. When we hear the word serve, often we think it just means like abject obedience, whether my heart is in it or not. Don't bring that definition of serve into this passage of scripture read out of it what jesus is saying and what he is saying is that serving him means he becomes the controlling thing in your life because you do everything that you do because you want more of him your eyes are devoted to him single-mindedly set on seeking him your heart loves and longs for him as your supreme treasure your security your satisfaction shades christ died so that you may have him as that have him as the Ultimate wealth and riches. Second Corinthians 8 and verse 9. Through, though Jesus was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. In other words, though Jesus was rich, God himself, owning the cattle on a thousand hills, possessor of everything, he made himself nothing by taking on flesh and going to a cross on my behalf and on your behalf, so that we might be rich, possessing everything, possessing him. This is what he did. Shades. Remember, remember when you are trying to think through, is God my master or is money, possessions, the things of this world? Which one is my master? Remember what it means to serve, to seek God as your satisfaction. And may that, may that lead you to walk in the wisdom of the spirit when it comes to money and all that it can buy. May, may you display Christ is your true treasure. As the Spirit leads you to be lavishly generous with all this world treasure, you can let go of anything because you have everything. And this morning, this morning, if that's not where your heart is, then I urge you to take seriously the warnings that Jesus gives about wealth. Don't Don't deceive yourself like the Pharisees, claiming to live a righteous life devoted to God while really being in love with money. Don't don't live trying to eat your cake and have it too. No, Jesus calls you to a greater righteousness, single-minded, wholehearted devotion to Him because you can't serve both God and money. You cannot set your eyes on both. Your heart cannot treasure both as its supreme treasure. Shades, set your eyes, treasure with your heart. Let your confidence and trust be in Christ. He's actually the only cake that you can eat and have too. You can consume him to your heart's satisfaction and still have him as your life secure for. Shades, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me, in this house, I pray we treasure, we serve.